My name is Mike Sayers, and um, I'm first up. I just want you to know that I'm really grateful to the people at uh, SCUM of the Earth Church because uh, they keep me grounded in reality. The longer you're a Christian, the greater the danger of becoming insulated. And I mean insulated in the Christian culture. You get saved when you're a young person, perhaps, and uh, you start hanging out with Christians, which is great, because maybe so far you haven't. And they encourage you, and they help you to follow Jesus more closely. So you begin hanging out with Christians, and then perhaps... Maybe your old friends exclude you because you're not doing the same things that you used to do when you weren't a Christian, which was my case. I also couldn't handle their sinful lifestyles because it would drag me down back into the stuff that I was trying to get away from. So Christian community was wonderful for me. So you start hanging out with Christians and it's great. Then you get married, maybe. And when you do, I think you're one step further removed from everybody else in the outside world because you're trying to build a little home. You spend a lot of time together. And then, if you're like me, you begin having children. One, two, three, four children, and pretty soon a lot of your time is taken up taking care of those kids and relating to your spouse so that you don't fall apart. And then you got your Christian friends. You go to church. You're trying to be the disciple that Jesus wants you to be, and you become more and more insulated from the outside world because you're working a regular job. That's not church. And maybe you're serving on committees at church. You're helping out, volunteering, mission work, whatever it is social justice, you're involved in that kind of stuff. And you get further removed from any reality outside the one that you're building. And I'm grateful to the people that's come because they don't let me stay insulated. I don't know if you realize this, but I'm probably 30 years older than the average scum of the earth person. It's very unusual uh, for a pastor to be that much older. Normally pastors will draw about 10 years older and 10 years younger than whatever their age is. Through SCUM, I'm, whether I like it or not, I'm always in touch with the music scene and the evolving music scene, whether, whether it's punk, goth, or, or rave, or, or, you know, hipster. Is hipster a music scene? I don't even know. But if it is, they're wearing plaid shirts and they have long beards. And I know that. And they're drinking coffee. But I'm put in touch with the art scene. I'm put in touch with the poetry scene. I didn't know there was a comic book scene. I liked comic books when I was a little kid. But it's a thing now, right? And so I'm really grateful as a 62-year-old man to be in touch with the next generation. It has been a blessing in my life. Now, this probably isn't true as much now as it was even 10 years ago, but you guys remember the Fight Club? It was like a cultural phenomenon for people at Scum of the Earth Church. 
And the author of Fight Club had this to say, We're the middle children of history, man. No purpose or place. We have no great war, no great depression. Our great war is a spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives. Garrison Keillor, always taking the lighter approach, has this to say about the succeeding generations. My generation was secretive, brooding, ambitious, show-offy. And this generation coming up is congenial. Totally. I imagine them walking around with GPS chips that notify them when a friend is in the vicinity. And their GPSs guide them to each other in clipped electronic lady voices. And they sit down side by side in a coffee shop and text message each other while checking their email and hoping and skipping around Facebook to see who has posted pictures of their weekend. The next generation is viewed from someone in the boomer generation. But... uh, I've made a career out of passing the church and the faith on to the next generation. And uh, I don't care how old you are. I want you to do that too. If there's one thing I believe church should be about, it's passing the faith and itself off to the next generation. And the reason we've got to do it first is because of who God is. Our faith has been passed from generation to generation. Every person who follows Christ here has been following Christ because somebody told you. And probably somebody older than that person told that person. And someone in the next generation before that told that person. That goes all the way back to the apostles. That's how we're all here. Because Christians have been faithful generation to generation. God's kingdom is an eternal kingdom, and he will keep it going. God's a ruler of generations. That's his plan. And we're supposed to speak to our own generations, but also the scriptures say we're supposed to speak to the following generations as well. Acts 13.36 This is part of the eulogy for King David. For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers, and his body decayed. But then the psalmist says this. We think the psalmist is King David. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. So we've got a responsibility. It doesn't matter if you're 60 or 40 or 30 or 20 here. It seems to me that Scripture is saying we've got a responsibility not just to our own generation, but to the following generations to proclaim the glory of the Lord. You are no less under that command, that order, those marching orders than I am. Then, of course, you have Jesus saying, go and make disciples of all nations. And last time I checked, 
Most nations are multi-generational. It's interesting, if you look at that passage at the end of Matthew, it says that, I quote, but some of them doubted. Now, for years I read that and I thought, okay, well, they, they doubted that Jesus was risen from the dead. But no, he was right there in front of them. He already spent like 40 days teaching them. He was about ready to ascend into heaven. So it wasn't his presence or his resurrection they were doubting. What I think they were doubting was their ability to take the gospel to all the nations and to all the generations. I think they doubted that. And this is exciting for me because it means that I don't have to be perfectly confident in order to do the things that Jesus has called me to do. And you don't have to be perfect in your faith or in your life to do the things that Jesus has called you to do, which is to pass the faith off to your generation and to the next generation. You can still doubt your ability to be a cross-generational missionary and do it. I won't post this one up, but Psalm 78 says this, O my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power, and the wonders He has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which He commanded our forefathers to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they, in turn, would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget His deeds, but would keep His commands." You see, the Lord is good to repeat the things that He thinks are important in Scripture. And taking the good news, the glory of God, the reputation of the Almighty to the next generation is one of those things. Now, this was easy for me to do because cross-generational ministry was the way that I came to Jesus. It was older people who came alongside me. And you see, so I've always felt that scum needed me. Because I needed older people. And I thought that I would just die in the pulpit. I would be like the Pope. You know, I'm never going to retire. Until Jesus spoke to me. This little thought crossed my brain and it said, You know, Mike, scum of the earth doesn't need a 65-year-old senior pastor. And I quickly dismissed that thought because it was outside my construct. And then the thought came back with spurs on the end and stuck in my mind. And so I began to pray at that point, this is years ago, about how we would do this. One of the things that came to mind was nothing worth doing could be accomplished in my lifetime. That if I don't make a successful transition to hand the ministry of scum of the earth off to somebody or to some people, then I would have failed. If scum dies with me, what good is that? And so I don't know if you guys know this or not, but tomorrow at 5 p.m. we're having a service here and we're going to ordain Jesse Heilman. And then at midnight tomorrow night, Jesse Heilman will officially become the next elder of Scum of the Earth Church. I will remain on staff. I'll be part of the trio of lead pastors. 
but not forever. I will step down. And then I'll just be that old guy in the rocking chair in the corner with the white hair. You want to know how scum started? Go talk to that dude over there. That'll be me. The next reason that it's important to pass the church and the faith to the next generation is because the next generation is in danger. The next generation is in danger. I don't care if you're looking at... If you're 20 years old and you're looking at kids who are 12 and 10 years old, they're in danger. The history of ancient Israel is tragic at times because of the failure of one generation to pass off the knowledge of God to the next. Judges 2.10 After that, the whole... After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, in other words, when they died, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. So Joshua and Caleb's generation had passed away, but something had deconstructed within the fabric of the nation. Our boomer generation was blessed to have a move of the Holy Spirit at its outset. The Jesus Revolution, the Charismatic Renewal, whatever you want to call it or the successive waves that came through, you know, we were part of it. But the next generation hasn't had that. And so it is behooving on our generation to pass off the faith and the church because they're at risk. Malachi 2.15 says this. It's not up there. Has not the Lord made them one in flesh and spirit they are His? And why one? Because He was seeking godly offspring. He's talking about marriage. Has not the Lord made them one in flesh and spirit they are His? And why one? Because He was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. The next generation is in trouble if only because of the destruction that comes from divorce. And my generation has been terrible at promoting the sanctity of marriage. And I'm talking about legal stuff. I'm talking about just the people you know. It makes it hard to believe in a good God when your parents couldn't get it together. It makes it hard to believe that there could be a love that lasts eternity when your parents can't do it for 20 years. The next generation is in grave danger. Mary and I have been very, very candid about our struggles in staying together, um, I remember one time, uh, Mary and I were doing a message together, probably Ephesians 5 or something, and we talked about some of the, uh, at this point, more humorous episodes in our uh, warfare against one another, trying to maintain a relationship. And this girl <laughs> made a beeline for Mary after the service. I've got to get to know that woman. Because Mary had been transparent and vulnerable about the struggle and this girl said, I've got to get to know somebody who struggles because I struggle. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about perfect marriages. I'm just talking about 
working it out in the open in the context of Christian community. 2 Timothy 2.22 Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. There are, honestly, temptations that assail young people that you kind of get past when you get older. For guys, maybe it's just a decrease in your testosterone level that gives you a hand you know, in being more holy. It, maybe it's nothing more than body chemistry. I don't know. But I do know that the Bible is true, and it's making a good point. And if young adults are in a very precarious position, they need the attention, the care, the encouragement, the accountability that comes from people who have gone through it before. And this isn't up there, but Titus 2.6, the Apostle Paul says to Titus, he says, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. That was the job of Titus. Encourage the young men to control themselves. <laughs> Us youth pastors have phrases for that that I will not utter. But we have ways of telling guys to keep their zippers zipped and their belt buckles buckled. 1 Peter 5.5, 5, the Apostle Peter says, Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud, but He resists the humble. That's a quote from the Old Testament. God opposes the proud, but He resists the humble. In other words, young people, listen. You're going to have to humble yourself to listen to somebody who's older because you're not going to want to. You're going to do your own thing. You're not going to want to listen to anybody else. But God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. I know this from my own experience. Mary and I were having a difficult time. We called our pastor, his wife. Mary and I were on two phones in our house back when they had cords. And, uh, and they were on two phones in their house. And uh, I'm telling what's going wrong. And Mary's crying, whatever. And my pastor says, um, Becky, Mary, could you guys get off the phone for a minute? I want to talk to Michael alone. I thought, this is great. We're going to talk man to man. He's going to understand. He's going to say, well, listen, you know, they're women, whatever he's going to say. He's going to be on my side. And so this is what he says. He goes, brother, you are in pride. You have to step down. You've got to humble yourself because, and then he quotes the Apostle Peter, because God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And I went, oh, crap. <laughs> this is what it means to follow Jesus. But I was receiving from a man who had done it before. His marriage wasn't perfect. I knew that. We all knew that. But they were together. They loved each other. They're still together. And I was blessed as a young man, as a young husband, because I humbled myself, even though I didn't like it. All right. Whoops. Well, next. 
we need to pass the faith in the church off to the next generation because the young carry out the dead. Acts 5, chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property with his wife's full knowledge. He kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and laid it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold... Wasn't the money at your disposal? In other words, you could have done anything with the money. We're not trying to tell you what to do. We're not saying you've got to give all the money to us, but you just told us you were bringing it all. So he's lying to the apostles. What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what happened. Then the young men came forward wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the young men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, finding her dead, and carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Carrying out what is rotting or dead is an important function in the church that we don't usually acknowledge. Young people do this, maybe simply because they are young. They see it. They understand when the emperor has no clothes on. I mean, the first time we met as a church, the very first time, I got up to speak. Um, I prepared, you know. It was wonderful. People were sitting on the floor in the prodigal coffee house. It was awesome. Uh, I met with Reese Roper later on that day to discuss how it had gone. And he said to me, what happened to you? I go, what are you talking about? He goes, you spoke like you were at my mom's church. Like, we don't want that. Just be Mike. Just like when you're talking to us over a cup of coffee at a restaurant. I don't know who that guy was who was talking on Sunday at the first come of the earth church service. And I was shocked. I thought, oh. Somewhere along the seminary way, I, I froze up or something. I got calcified. I've, I've got to get free. I've, I've got to just chill out. I would never have known that if it hadn't been for a young 20-something guy, a rebel who loved me, and we had a good enough relationship for him to tell me what was really going wrong. And it's like that all over the church. I mean... Every generation has our own stuff, right? So it's really important that scum of the earth keep reaching out to people who are younger so they can come in and tell you what's wrong with this place. We used to go to church in the city. We met there, and uh, they had this forest of artificial plants on, the, uh, on the, the platform, which is about four feet high. 
and we had people that would come and they would take the plants off the stage every single Sunday before church because they hated them. They were just not okay. One time we came to church and there's this note on the drum shield because they had one of those plexiglass drum shields too, which we hated. Um, but you can't really move that that easily. And the note said, Dear scum of the earth, we know that the artificial plants are uncool. But they're expensive uncool. <laughs> so could you please be careful when you're moving them and putting back where they belong? <laughs> what? Okay. Church in the city needed some young people to be heard to say that kind of thing. And, and young people can't do that, though, unless you give them the power, unless you give them uh, the, uh, the voice, unless they have a place to say something. And frankly, I think we've done that here at Scum of the Earth. I don't know where you go to church, but if you go here, you've got to make sure that happens in the future. We have to pass the faith in the church off in the next generation because, because our wisdom and their strength have to merge. Our wisdom and their strength have to merge. 1 John chapter 2, verse 13 says this. The Apostle John writes, I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. There is a knowing. I have to put it. The older you get with Jesus, there's a knowing. He knows you. You know him in ways you didn't know when you were young. You were too busy fighting the battles against the evil desires of youth which the Apostle John points out, young people keep fighting. And then he brings up the little kids. And I don't know if you've been around little kids, but their faith is amazing. It's great to be around little kids. They just... I don't know what it is, but there is a pipeline between the Holy Spirit and little children that you kind of gets clogged up as you get older. We've got to stop looking at young adults as Padawans. And you've got to start looking at young adults as young Jedis. I, it, was, it, was, it was a threshold that I had to cross. I mean, I wouldn't be handing over the helm of Scum of the Earth Church if I didn't feel like I had young Jedis on staff, on council, in the leadership teams. The generation in power has to start hang out, handing out diplomas really quick. People my age, I mean, we don't have much time to hand out diplomas and let the next generation get on with it, even fund whatever it is they want to do. You know, older folks don't do 24-hour prayer, prayer vigils much. I used to do them when I was young all the time. 
I remember scum of the earth praying 24 hours when we were trying to buy this place. I was not looking forward to that. But I did it. It was good for me. They had the strength, the verve, the zeal to go for it and seek God. And they pulled me along in their wake. I've had the wisdom at times to say, okay, stop here. Don't go any farther. This is danger. Don't make that alliance. And it's worked together. My wisdom, their strength. Mary's wisdom, their strength. Larry's wisdom, their strength. Jim and Amy Croft's wisdom, their strength. It's their zeal. It's worked out well. It's always been good to have a mix of old and young. What happens in the spiritual is really a mirror of what happens in the physical, or maybe the physical is a mirror of what's happening in the spiritual. I'm not as strong as I used to be. I can't run as fast as I used to. Young people can. You know, when I listen to a new artist, I kind of, well, let's see. Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young said that better back 30, 40 years ago. I don't know what this person is doing. You know, U2 has proven themselves over decades to be a great band. And, you know, this, these guys are on David Letterman, and I'm going, who cares? There's an arrogance on the part of any older generation that prevents us from seeing the strengths of those coming up behind. They're strong in the Lord, if we'd only notice. I'll close with this. There was one time I was coming to church. Actually, I was going to meet a guy before church, and uh, I got this frantic call from... It might have been Jesse. Hey, Mike, where are you? Well, I'm going to meet... Chauncey before church. Well, can you come here right now? I go, what's going on? He goes, well, there's a, a girl here, and I, I, we think that she's manifesting demons, and we need you here right away. I go, what's going on? He explained the symptoms. It looked, I mean, it could have been an epileptic seizure for all I knew from the way he was talking about it. And I said, have you called 911? He goes, no. I go, well, call 911, and then I'll be over. Because I didn't know if it was physical or spiritual. Um, I walk in. They hadn't called 911. Uh, but as soon as I walked in the foyer, you know, I could just tell from the atmosphere in the room that it was spiritual. I mean, Bob Till, a lifelong missionary with Greater European Mission, was there, guy my age. His kids went to scum. I, I said, Bob, this, this isn't physical, is it? He said, no, it's not. So this girl's over in the, by the window, sitting in a chair, and she's as rigid as a board. And she's kind of muttering and groaning, and, and her eyes rolling around in her head. And, you know, people are gathered around to the few charismatics we had are praying in tongues. And, you know, people, and she's just, and just, you know. And I'm standing about 10 feet away, and I, I this, this, this feeling came over me like, Oh, I feel so bad for the girl. 
She's going, her body's going through terrible torture. And I got angry at the spirits that were doing I got angry at the spirit. I really did. This kind of holy anger rose in me. I looked straight at her. She wasn't looking at me. I looked straight at her and I said, In Jesus' name, stop shaking her. And like she got like, boom, stock still. And then slowly her face turned at me and looked at me. And it was like the lights were on, but nobody was home. Only way I can explain it. It was creepy. And everybody starts backing away at that point. And so I, I walked over and um, uh, just started commanding the, the, the demon to, to leave her. And uh, the response it got was like, no, she's mine. You know, and then there'd be a little bit of a shake, but not much. And I'm going, you've got to leave in Jesus' name. The blood of Jesus is covering this place. And I have Jesus' authority. You've got to leave in Jesus' name. No, I won't. She's mine. And, you know, pretty soon everybody comes back around. And we all start praying. And I'm looking at my watch going, I know this demon's going to come out. I just don't know if it's going to be before people start arriving for church. <laughs> Because that would be awkward. I mean, I had no doubt that we were going to win. It just was a stubborn demon. So um, something else was going on. Leonor uh, Ortega Till had been quiet the whole entire time. Uh, and then um, she was sitting next to the girl and kind of holding her hand. And then all of a sudden, uh, Leonor hadn't said a thing the whole time. Started praying for the little girl inside. Just out loud, just praying for the little girl who was locked up inside. And I swear, this woman, from being stiff as a board, just slithered off the chair like butter. I mean, on the floor, weeping. And just, it's like thing was broken. It was gone. It left. And so I said, Leonor, why don't you and this older woman who was there, Elizabeth, why don't you go in the back with her, pray with her, you know, ask her to accept Jesus, to come in now that the house is clean. You don't want her to leave here not having the Holy Spirit inside of her. And so all i got to say is, that is a great picture for me of wisdom and strength coming together. You know, it wasn't just me. It wasn't just the young people. It was all of us together who God used to free this girl and... It's yet another reason why it's so important for us to pass the faith in the church off to the next generation. I'll close my presentation with this slide. No more trite and cheesy baton photos, please. So, <laughs> I really did hate those, but I used them just because I didn't know what else to do. Anybody else got a metaphor for passing the faith in church off to the next generation? Please let me know. Because I'm sick of the baton passing pictures. All right. All right. So what I thought I'd do now is uh, we, have a, uh, we have some time, and I want this to be highly interactive. So um, if you've got any questions or comments, I would love to uh, try and answer them or uh, just... Um, entertain them so their folks can hear what you have to say. So, on this topic, there's a lot going on here at SCUM. If you weren't uh, aware of all of it and you want to ask me a question about the transition stuff at SCUM, that's open as well. I'm an open book. I'll tell you whatever you want to know.
Anybody? Yeah. What do I see that breaks the back of pride in the younger generation and the older generation so that they can come together and work together? Um, well, I mean, obviously the answer is Jesus, but I think you want something more than that. Um, uh, I, uh, <laughs> well, no, it is. I mean, it, I, mean I, I don't... I think Jesus is faithful to arrange situations uh, that we cannot fix. Um, I have a lot of pastor friends who are going through this right now because they look out on a Sunday morning in their congregation, everybody's got gray hair. And they know that, you know, they're doing funerals regularly and no weddings, no baptisms of babies or even young people. Uh, so they've got a problem, you know. And, and I think that... It's those kind of situations that God will bring a church into that humbles them. And so we've got to start looking for someone to pass this off to. And so uh, that's part of it, I think. Uh, for young people, it's when your life is spinning out of control and uh, you really have no one to talk to because, you know, you're in a new city, uh, your parents are back home, or you've got a terrible relationship with your parents, and you just need help. I mean, I think that kind of uh, crucible finally brings out the need uh, that overwhelms the pride, you know. So, uh, unfortunately, most of the time it's it's negative stuff, I think, that breaks the pride. Uh, it's the very, very wise person who can just uh, humble himself or herself to accept the um, the ministry of young people and vice versa, you know, without having to go through a bunch of hardship. But great question. Chris. So you've got a nephew, uh, and you've invited him to come to SCUM, but uh, you don't know exactly what to say to him because he says he's praying about it. Well, first of all, Chris, I would say SCUM certainly isn't for everybody. I mean, we are um, odd. And, uh, you know, we, we intentionally try to be odd. We're the, as you can see, the little circle. If this is the body of Christ, this big circle here, everything inside the body of Christ is inside that circle. Outside that circle is not is the world. Um, then we want to be right on the perimeter. We want to be right there. We want to be the first step in from the world for anybody coming in from the outside. Um, and frankly, that kind of outpost mentality isn't for everybody. Um, some people don't think we're reverent enough. Some people uh, don't think you know we. I, I have I know friends who say you you should give God your best. You should dress up every Sunday for God. There's, and you know we're not like that. So, you know, I would I, if I were you, I would pray he goes to church someplace, and then I would just I would just keep inviting him, and, and maybe not to church. Um, there's other places that I think are easier to bring someone that are not so liturgical or religious. So. 
take them to a potluck at the Jesse's house. Uh, come here on Wednesday nights for the uh, community nights. You know, if there's a concert uh, that a, one of the bands from Scum is playing at a local tavern, take your nephew there. He'll introduce introduce him to some other people from Scum. Once you get to know a few people, it might be, be a whole lot easier. But yeah, I think that's. Thank you for that concern. Yeah, Meg. What do I think the young generation can do to help maintain relationships with the older generation in the context of a church? Is that what you're asking? Okay. And I'm repeating this for the podcast, just so you know. It's not because I can't hear you. Uh, But, you know, um, that's a great question because sometimes I feel called to pursue somebody whether they want me to pursue them or not. I become the pester and not the pastor. Hey, let's have coffee. Hey, let's go out to lunch. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, And uh, I kind of win them over by my persistence. Uh, But sometimes, you know, I'm just clueless, and I don't know what somebody needs. Um, I would say uh, most older adults that I know of are smitten. When a young person comes up and says, hey, could I get together with you because you've lived life for a while and I would like to glean some of that wisdom. I mean, who could resist that? It's like, just like, yeah, just tell me more, kid. You know, I'll, I'll, you know, I mean, I'll, it's, it's interesting because, you know, as a dad of adult children, you know, I have people who do that with me and my kids, of course, don't care. At least not at the moment. <laughs> Some of them don't, anyway. So, so I'm going. Why? Why? I I'm at, I got a better relationship on some levels with young people who come to me and ask me for help than I do with my own kids who've been getting it unrequested all of their lives. <laughs> so that's one way to do it. Uh, you know, I mean, it's always freaks me out when a young person invites me over for dinner or Mary and I. I'm going because. You know, we've always been the people that did that. And now they're going, well, come on over. We'll make dinner for you. Or we'll take you out. And I'm going, nobody ever does that. That's so weird. And it's wonderful. Ben. Um, just in kind of response to your question, I think one of the things that um, I think um, affects the relationship between um, younger folks and under, older folks in, in the church is a lot of times when they see things that need to be carried out and they go and confront uh, they they have the habit of villainizing uh, older folks. So one of the things that can be done is when you confront and see things that need to change is don't villainize uh, your elders in the process because all that's going to do is just separate you. Uh, so anyway, yeah. but I think that's... Excellent, excellent. Yeah, Zach. Yeah. So the sticky part Zach is bringing up is what happens when the young people see something as dead and needs to be carried out, but the old people don't agree, and so there is a conflict. How do you resolve that? Um, boy, that's a tough one. Um, if if there is more than one young person who sees that, then I would make that known to the elders of the church. 
that it's not just one person or two people, it's a whole group of people. We write a letter to the elders and we say, look, this is something we think is really wrong. Uh, if you want to do X, Y, Z, you should consider what we're saying. I, I think that would, an appeal to authority is, is you know, it, it shows respect and submission. Um, I would say that uh, there's all sorts of ways to get your, I mean, you, you kind of got to become lobbyists for your own agenda in church. I, mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with developing relationships with the people who are, let's say, on the church council or on the staff or whatever, uh, in order to, to, to push a point. Like, you know, invite them out for coffee. Talk to them one-on-one. Uh, make, make it known. And I would say that um, in most cases, if even after all of that, after a, a, a formal appeal uh, to church government, uh, if it's turned down, then you've got a decision to make about whether or not you're going to submit to their authority or, you know, abandoned ship. So uh, I would say that in that case, you've got to be very careful. Obviously, if they're, if they're really heading down a sinful road, uh, and uh, that's, you know, I, I don't think you need to follow someone into sin or even a church into sin. I don't think you need to turn a blind eye to evil. You know, if there was a case of sexual abuse going on in the church and young people brought it up and they wouldn't address it, I would leave. Uh, but um, but in, in, in less weighty matters, you know, I think I would stay and pray. Um, but that's that's me. Yeah, Larry? Yeah, go ahead. Great. Thanks for that. Okay, I got time for one more, and that's it. Yeah. the greatest cause for hungering and thirsting after righteousness? Well, um, 
you know, uh, honestly, uh, the thing that pops in my brain first is uh, the first thing Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount was, "Blessed are the poor in spirit." Um, that there, there's got you've got to become in touch with your own need, your own brokenness, uh, your own decrepit nature, uh, and and once you know you're in touch with that. Then it's like, give me more. It's like Jesus saying to the uh, the the woman uh, who anointed his feet with uh, perfume. You know, she loves much because she's forgiven much. I think the thing that really impresses me about old saints. I mean, these are good people, right? They love. They've been married for fifty years. They. You know, they give generously to every youth group kid ever comes to their door. They are uh, kind and encouraging to everybody in the church. And yet you talk to those kind of old saints, and they, I mean, they'll, talk, they'll weep when they talk about how Jesus saved them from a life of sin and darkness. And you're going, you're the most holy person I know. <laughs> like, how? And you're talking about being so grateful that Jesus saved you. So that that's my quick answer to that. It's a great question because that is that really is the core issue as we're trying to pass the the faith and the church on to the next generation.